to see everybody here this morning, and what a blessing it is to have our kids come up and sing those songs to praise our Lord and quote the scriptures and read the scriptures, and it's a blessing, and may we just pour our prayers on them that God would draw them to himself and that they would be the next generation of praise team and preachers and Sunday school teachers and everything else. What a blessing it was. Thanks for everyone who put hard work into that to, to lead that. And thank you, kids, again, for such a great, uh, a great, not performance, but blessing to the congregation this morning. We thank you for that. I want to read this morning uh, from the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John chapter 1. And I want to read verse 1 through 5 this morning. And I want to look at one thing that we see here in these five verses. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning in this wonderful season in which we celebrate specifically the incarnation of the eternal Son of God. That Light broke into the darkness at the birth of Christ. And the darkness cannot overcome it. Salvation has caused mankind to lift their voices and sing praises of our wonderful Savior. And we thank you for the opportunity that we've had this morning to lift our voices to sing praises about our wonderful Savior. We thank you for our church family that we can gather and have such a wonderful uh, celebratory worship service as we celebrate the birth of Christ. I pray that you would bless our time in your word this morning and that it would have an impact on how we celebrate Christmas, how we talk about Christmas to others. And Lord, we just pray that your blessing would be upon us, that we might take your blessings and turn them into praise. We ask this in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There is a common theme, a common thread, if you will, from the time that John wrote this, the time that Christ walked the earth. In our culture today, there seems to be a thriving motto. It's gone beyond, lots of times a culture will have a motto that's lived out but not brash enough, if you will, to speak it out loud. But our culture has gotten to the point where it's not just the underlying live it out, it's also we speak it out loud. I think if it was summarized in a statement, it would sound something like this. We have no ultimate purpose, so let's just party hard. 
It's a motto that entails these sorts of ideas and ideologies. Do what feels good. Uh, Follow your heart. Don't let anyone tell you what to do or what you cannot do. Just be yourself. Don't let anyone stop you from making your dreams come true, no matter what your dream may be. Don't worry about consequences. You don't have long, just do it. This life is it. Your only chance at living to the extreme. We we hear these things not only we not only see this lived out in our culture, but we also um, hear them expressed in our culture. They're behind much of the marketing of our culture, and it has swallowed our culture um, whole. It's a view of life that makes living arbitrary, and it makes living purposeless. I guess if there is a purpose, it's just to do what you want for as long as you can, because when you die, it's over, which is really no purpose at all. It has no ultimate meaning, no ultimate purpose. Well, in the days that Christ walked the earth, there was a very similar mindset to our culture, that's not the only ideology we have, but it's a, a predominant one in our culture. And th- it was very prominent in Christ's days as well. Paul even said this to kind of sum up what the mindset was when he, in Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32, he's arguing for the resurrection and how the resurrection argues against this kind of philosophy this kind of worldview, this kind of ideology. And he says, listen, if the dead are not raised, then let's just live like the world's philosophy and let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die, right? So there's, there's nothing after this life. There's no consequences. There's no purpose for your life. And so let's just eat, drink, and be merry, right? Because it ends as soon as we die. And Paul says the resurrection uh, argues against that. It's proof that that's not true, that 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 system of belief is false. And so that the resurrection argues against the worldly philosophy of the New Testament days. That philosophy being very similar to our culture's worldly philosophy. Don't worry about anything but satisfying the flesh. And living today to the fullest, no matter the consequences. Because in this worldly philosophy, consequences are minimal and temporary. The New Testament cultural philosophy is the same as today. And it says this, you have no ultimate purpose. Why do you think that our culture is so devastated when they seek to build themselves up in peer review, and it doesn't work. Our, our young people are swept away into depression and worse when somehow they're not filling their cup up today because they're told that today is it. And that there's no delayed gratification for, for your life in the afterlife because this life is it. So be popular or be nothing. That's what our young minds and hearts are being told and 
swept away with. You have, you have no ultimate purpose. So we have our secular culture having a common thread with the secular culture of Jesus' day. And it was a view of life that had no purpose. There were schools of thought. The Epicureans, you'll remember the Epicureans, and there were also the Stoics. And the Stoics were kind of like, well, we, we don't have the answers. We don't really think that there may be a purpose to life, but it sure does seem better if we're just nice, right? So let's just have a semblance of morality, even though we don't have any answers and we really don't think there's a purpose to life, but we just think it makes life better, so let's just go that route. And the Epicureans were, we have no answers. We don't think there's a purpose. Fill your cup up. Party hard. Very much like today. Both schools had no answers. You'll remember from Paul's time at the Areopagus in the book of Acts that they heard about Paul and heard him speaking some things and they just like sitting around and rubbing their belly button and hearing new ideas, right? And so they're like, hey, we, this is something new to our ears. Bring them in. And Paul, when he walks in, he says, I want to address this statue that I said, that I saw when I walked in that said, to the unknown God. Kind of summed up the philosophy of that day. Truth is really unknown. Purpose is non-existent. There are no real answers to life, no consequences, because there's no purpose. And what we see here in John chapter 1 in the first five verses is the incarnation turns this worldview upside down. It turns this worldview upside down, and I believe that John meant to say this so that it would. I want to read it again. In the beginning was the Word. I'm going to zero in on that. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in Colossians, Paul also says, by him all things were made, and for him all things were made. All things were created and exist for Jesus. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This Greek word, logos, is translated here in English as word. The word logos can be also translated as logic, but it doesn't mean necessarily the, the, the logic that some of you have probably studied in books. The Greek meaning, the weight behind this word logos, is what philosophers discussed all the time in Jesus' day and still today. That ongoing discussion is the purpose of life. In the beginning was the purpose of life. In the beginning was the reason for life. 
In the beginning was the reason of life. He was with God and he was God. Later on in verse 14 of John 1, it says, And the Word, the reason for life, the purpose for life, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we're told the reason for life became flesh. And I, and I want, you to, want you to hear this. Jesus is the embodiment of the reason for life. He is the fulfillment for the reason for life. And as you look at the life of Christ and you read through the New Testament, you see that Jesus lived out this purpose for life in perfection. When John says we have seen his glory, what John means is an aspect of that glory is a life of sinless perfection. Full, perfect obedience to his Father. The same glory that we all fall short of. Jesus did not. Jesus is the full revelation of God. And his incarnation reveals in a way that cannot be ignored that there is real purpose for life. So what I want to what this passage is saying is and what John is encapsulating in this word word, this word logos, is that Jesus' incarnation reveals that there actually is purpose for life. And then becoming flesh, he actually lived out that purpose for life, which is obedience to God, because that's where satisfaction and joy and pleasure reside. You can't obey, you can't have pleasure, true pleasure, true lasting pleasure and joy and happiness outside of the context of obedience towards God. It cannot happen. It's impossible. Every other pleasure that you may find is temporal and leads to death, the Bible says. It's fleeting. And so it, life is not purposeless. There's an absolute divine purpose for your life. And that purpose is actually not to kill your joy. It's to bring you the greatest joy and the greatest pleasure and the greatest happiness that passes the grave. And that's finding your joy and finding your happiness in, in God, who is the only fountain of those things. He's the only fountain for those things. Everything else promises those things and then lets you down immediately once you obtain it. If, if, you're, if you're older than, I don't know, four, 
You know that you've pursued things in your life that you thought were going to make you so happy, and a week later, they were on the shelf. Because all of these things are promising you happiness and joy and satisfaction and pleasure, and as soon as you lay your hands on it, it lets you down. And it's a, it's a glaring message from God that that's not your purpose in life. Your purpose in life is pleasure, and it is joy, and it is happiness, and it is satisfaction, but you can't find them in those things. You can only find them in Him. And that's what's revealed here is the Logos is revealing to us the purpose of life. Your purpose, my purpose, everyone's purpose is to find the fullness of joy in God. And, God, and then Christ, the eternal Son of God, takes on flesh, and he reveals his glory. And that glory, dear friend, is that context of obedience to God. That he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. He lived his, his full life in perfect obedience to his Father. Your life, your life matters. I wish that I could, I wish somebody said, hey, we're going to let you put something on the, on the billboards all across the country. Be like, your life matters to God. And your life belongs to God. And stop throwing it away on these temporal pleasures that keep letting you down, and you know they're letting you down. Your life matters, and it's, it doesn't just matter in this life. It matters eternally. It matters eternally. Well, who does it matter to? It matters to God. Your life matters to God. So much that John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And in that everlasting life is everlasting joy. God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, in, incarnating and taking on flesh to set you free from the false systems of meaninglessness. And I, it, it causes me to weep at times, having children and, and seeing our our, this generation just chasing after mud puddles when they could be drinking from the pure water of Jesus. They're getting sold a bill of goods that are going to let them down every time when they could really find what they're searching for and what their soul craves in Jesus. So God has revealed himself in the Logos to re re free us from so false systems of meaningless, to show you that your purpose and the glorious nature of your design is for pleasure, is for happiness, is for satisfaction, is for joy, but that those things are found in Jesus and can only be found in 
Jesus Christ. So what we celebrate at Christmas is the gift of knowing the purpose of life. We have not been left groping in the dark. We have not been left to think that our life is meaningless, that it has no purpose, that this life is it. What we celebrate as Christmas is the Logos that has revealed that there is purpose to our life and that not only is there purpose to life, but in Him, in Jesus, we have the ability to live out that purpose. To live life to its fullest. You can, you can be the poorest person on the planet and still live life to the fullest if you're in Jesus. You can get through the most difficult life and still have still be standing on the rock-hard foundation of joy if you're in Jesus. The waves of this temporal life can come crashing down upon you over and over in this life, and you can still make it through with joy in Jesus. And this is what we celebrate with special emphasis during this season of Christmas. It's more than a baby in a manger. It's who that baby was and what he revealed. He revealed that we have purpose. And let me tell you something. Having purpose is hopeful. Amen? Because without purpose, we're, we're just a culture of hopelessness. Jesus came to give us hope, right? And that hope is that we have purpose, and that purpose is found in Jesus. And so we celebrate that at Christmas. We celebrate that Christ left his throne of glory, the Son of God, who was worshipped every second. The angels did his bidding, and he was willing. He told his Father, I'll go. I'll go, and I'll redeem a people that don't want me. They don't love me. They suppress me. But I'm willing to go and live in diminished glory on earth in order to redeem a people for myself that can realize their purpose and live it out. Beyond the grave, by the way. Beyond the grave. And we, we lay hold of that purpose and we lay hold of the ability to live out that purpose by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. By uniting ourselves through faith to Jesus, we lay hold of that purpose and that great design that our Creator has designed us for. And we lay hold of the ability by the Holy Spirit to, the, who works in us both to will and to do according to God's good pleasure we live out that purpose by the power of God as well. And it delivers us from these false systems of belief that 
their conclusion is always and ultimately we don't have the answers. There's no purpose. And Christ came to deliver us from that. And so we need to celebrate this week. Man, may we celebrate with zeal and joy that our life has purpose. And I can tell you right now, no matter what's happened to you in your life, there's still purpose for your life in Jesus if you're still alive. And if you're gone, you're living out that purpose in sinlessness, which is even better. Amen? Because life doesn't end at the grave. And neither does our purpose end at the grave. And God has revealed that to us in his son through the incarnation and what came after the incarnation so that at Christmas and every day we can wake up and in the morning we can praise God that today has purpose. It has purpose. And the purpose, the goal is joy forevermore in God. That's the chief end of man. To know and enjoy fully forever God. And so, Merry Christmas. Saying Merry Christmas is like saying rejoice. Your life has meaning. Merry Christmas. Rejoice. Your life has purpose. And you can find endless joy, not only in this holiday, but every day because of Jesus and because he was willing to humble himself and take upon flesh and take on the form of a servant, a creature, and be obedient like we were supposed to be, obedient not only to the death, but even death on a cross. We, we have... We have the most reason to say Merry Christmas with joy. We have the most reason to celebrate with zeal and joy and happiness. Merry Christmas, right? Merry Christmas. You, every one of you, have purpose in life, and that purpose can be found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Christmas. And, and really, Christmas is every day. Because we have purpose every day, and we can fulfill that purpose in Jesus. We thank you for the redemption that is found in him. We thank you for the forgiveness that is found in him. And I, I pray for anyone that may be in this room or under the sound of my voice. If they don't, if they're not clinging to Christ, if they've been swept away by the lies of idols, the promises of of a philosophy, a worldly philosophy that says live it up because you have no reason, no purpose. I pray, Lord, that they would see the through the lie and see the truth that is found in the Logos, the Word who became flesh and lived a perfect life so that he could walk to the cross and be a willing and acceptable sacrifice to his Father so that he could redeem a people for himself and Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in truth 
and in honesty shall be saved. Lord, may we celebrate with joy this Christmas that we have purpose. We pray that in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.